Welcome to the Broadcasters Roundtable here on Flyers Radio 24-7. Well, they were disappointed with the way the playoffs ended in the bubble. Flyers have had a little time now to gain perspective, and I think they can feel like they took some important steps forward in this first year under Elaine Vigneault. Guys, uh, it takes some perspective to be able to separate yourself, I guess, from the disappointment of Game 7. And uh, Jimmy and Elaine Vigneault's first year, they did take some important steps forward. Yeah, no doubt, Timmy. I mean, if you look at the overall picture, a, a lot of positivity. You think about where they were in the regular season when the pause hit. They were one of the top teams that were playing as well as anybody in the league. In the round robin, they certainly played well. Uh, there's concern about, I thought they were outplayed in long stretches in both the Montreal and Islander series, especially the Islander series. And, and I think uh, Elaine Vigneault is chalking that up to a learning experience for a lot of the young players. And I think there's something to that. But I, I think you also have concern over there might be something that's still missing. Obviously, they weren't good enough to, to play uh, with the Islanders. They took it to seven on, on guts, Carter Hart, and some breaks, I think. But, but uh, to be honest with you, they were outplayed in that series pretty handily. So I think you do have some areas of improvement. I don't know whether it's personnel or internal improvements, but really something's still missing a little bit. But overall, this team went from a potential playoff team to a team that a lot of people were talking about as a Stanley Cup contender. So yeah, absolutely. There's been progress and there's a lot of hope for the future because it's a young team in general. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Jimmy on this one. Jimmy too. And I sense that you go back to the beginning of last year where there was a lot of unknowns. For me, uh, you know, uh, coming off a very disappointing season, um, for a lot of guys, there have been changes. So there, I think that when you came into this year, uh, the hope was that this team would move in a north direction, and they did. They bought into what the coach had. Uh, a lot of the young guys took big strides. Uh, key guys continued to get better. Provorov, uh, Konechny had a great regular season. You find out a lot about the playoff, uh, about a team when you get into a playoff situation. Uh, and I even thought, you know, to be quite frank and honest, uh, you know, the Montreal series, I thought there was lots of times during that the course of that series where I thought Montreal had the better of the play. Uh, they made it look easy. And then when you got into the Islanders series, um, they were – you're right, Jimmy. When you get looked down at Carter Hart and a lot of guts and gutsy efforts and great uh, plays in overtime and a really go-for-it attitude, they got that series to seven games. But I don't think that they can be misled thinking that they were just one game away from the conference finals. I felt like they're still farther away than that. And that, and that's 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 a hard a hard honesty sometimes, but also something that I think the GM and the coach have to understand. I don't know what that is. Is there too big of a gap between the leadership group, an aging core of guys that were stars, and the younger group? I don't know how you how you maybe you try to fill that gap, but I think it's certainly something that the, that uh, Chuck Fletcher and the coaching staff will have to discuss at length this fall, being the off season, not the summer. It's certainly something to look at, but. From where they were to where they've come, humongous strides, and, and there should be a lot to be proud of within that locker room. Coatsy, in his postseason avail, media avail, Elaine Vigneault admitted he had not met with players yet, so he didn't get into too much detail. But he said, we found out that certain things offensively that work in the regular season don't work in the playoffs. Boy, time and space are absolutely gone in the playoffs, and I think the Flyers found that against both Montreal and New York. There's a lot of questions around that, and I want to go back to what Bundy said about playoff hockey, and you learn an awful lot about a player and the difference between the regular season and the playoffs. And just as fans, if you watch a game during the regular season and watch a playoff game, it's like night and day. And you go back to the, the time and the space and the physicality of the games. 
you're like a completely different situation. So when you take a look at the Flyers in the playoffs, and I'm going to go back to what Jimmy, agree with Jimmy. I mean, everybody said, well, or the people were asking, well, did they run out of gas? Did they have any gas? That's my question because they got they struggled against Montreal. They struggled against the Islanders and never really showed us the team that we saw in January before the break in February. And then when you take all that into, uh, into uh, consideration, what was going on with the first three games in the in the round robin? Did we see something different, or were the other teams not taking it that seriously to be able to get prepared to moving into the regular playoffs? There's a lot of question marks, but I'm, I'm more concerned uh, with just the overall play, except for a, a couple of people. I mean, this team would never have got past Montreal had been for Carter Hart, would never have got to Game 7 without Carter Hart. So I think that's a concern. Let's pull Billy in here. Billy, were the Flyers affected in a negative way by the pause more than anybody? Um, I think you could probably make that case. You could, but on, on the other hand, you know, the, the round-robin games, they were supposed to be you know, a run-up, a jump-off point. And it was a pretty good jump-off point to, to take into the, to the playoff rounds. I mean, you look at a team like, to me, Boston was a team that never had anything going during the, you know, during the round robin, and they never really pulled it together during the playoffs either. I thought the Flyers had a good starting point to get, to kind of get back to where they were. You know, uh, even at the end of the round robin, they weren't where they were at the end of the pause, but that wasn't fair to expect for any team that, you know, that was in that phase of the playoff in the postseason. I I think, though, that the biggest thing that jumped out to me, Timmy and, and everybody, is that and, and something that Chuck Fletcher brought up and AV brought up as well? You know, so much of what wins in the playoffs it starts with the, you're playing in your own end of the ice. Um, so much of the defensive structure that was really much improved over the regular season, whether it's exiting the defensive zone, protecting the puck, not getting guys caught up ice. Uh, you know, wingers covering the the weak side plays, which cost the Flyers two goals. In, in game seven and what Doug, Doug the hole was defensemen were allowed to pinch right on in with, with no winger coverage on them. Those are things that are pretty automatic. Those, those attention to, to detail areas, even, and even a guy like Sean Couturier who just won the Selkie trophy. There was a, a play in game one where he had two defensemen behind the net. So that it's pretty automatic for the center to cover in front. And he went behind the net to help two defensemen left, um, I'm trying to remember who it was, um, it may have been Peugeot, wide open, wide open in the, in the slot for the, for the pass side. And you lost the battle down low, too, to, to start all that. All those things that were pretty automatic, those details, they went away in the playoffs. And, you know, it, it becomes it becomes like a, a, a snowball rolling downhill. Well, you know, now you're turning pucks over. Now you have guys watching the puck. Even if you do get the puck, nobody has any you – know, nobody has their feet moving, so you're not attacking up ice. And if you get out of the zone, all you can really do is try to dump it in and change lines. And and when you had the momentum turned against you, you keep looking for those guys who generate those stabilizing shifts, which is really, I thought, something the Islanders did exceptionally well. Like Casey uh, Zizekas' line, uh, when when the Flyers put together a, a good stretch, they would come in and they would you know throw some hits. They would you know, create some turnovers and they would get play moving back the other way. I did not see that with the Flyers in, in either round. The one thing the Flyers did well was in the Montreal series, at least not certainly not in the Islander series was they closed games out. Well, when they were up one up a goal up 
you know, up going in the third period. That's how they won that Islander, won the Montreal series. Carter Hart and, and closing games out well. And even the Montreal, even the Islander series, rather, they, they didn't do that well. They rescued rescued some wins in overtime in that series. So, you know, there, there was just a whole lot of structural things that just kind of went awry and they never pulled back on track. You know what? There's a lot of a lot of his systems, too. And I like a lot of it when you look at the flow of uh, of the games themselves. I find it interesting that, you know, when you look at the top teams or even the teams like uh, a Dallas getting through uh, or a team like T- uh, Tampa, who looks like they may get through the Islanders. It is really how they flow from the defensive end back into the offensive zone. And I think that's what makes them those teams unique. And I think that's one of the challenges the Flyers will have. How do you have the puck possession come out of your own zone, try to manufacture that speed again through the neutral zone and then on your entries again to either make a play at the net or to to get a cycle to ensue? I think that becomes the challenge, Coatsy, correct? Bundy, you know what? I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I don't know where that went away. I mean, in the early going, especially in the, the round uh, robin part, uh, I, I was – bragging about the fact that that first pass coming out, getting the, the forwards moving, a good breakout to be able to hit the blue line with, with some uh, kind of organization, and then all of a sudden it went away. And on top of that, up until watching, watching the New York Islanders, I'll tell you what, it was unbelievable to see their line rushes. They were so good at line rushes. And then all of a sudden you see them against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and the Lightning are even better than that. So it all goes back to coming out of your zone, moving through that neutral zone, and that we just didn't have that in the playoffs. You know, there's also a theory, guys, that uh, you can't take too much from these playoffs because it's so unusual, the bubble, no fans. Just, no. It's just not normal playoff hockey. So, I mean, do we not take too much from this, or is this just like any other playoff? Jimmy, I, I got to say, and I have to – I was a little negative there because, you know, we all were on the, the – <laughs> yeah. And you're not a negative person either. I know that. A little bit, just a little bit. But it, it was frustrating, and I know that you're talking to all the fans, and they're very frustrated. So what I'm trying to say, okay, this is what we saw. This is what we got to go forward. And understand, the job that Chuck Fletcher did and Alan Vigneault and his coaching staff was spectacular, absolutely spectacular. But when you take a look at this hockey club, there's a lot to look forward to. But we're sitting here talking about the structure of what happened and it was frustrating. You're playing the, the, the 12th seed in the league, and all of a sudden you figure, okay, that'll be a, a cakewalk, and we never got it in motion. So, but going back to what you said, yes, this is strange times, but other teams are playing good in strange times also. Well, so the million-dollar question to me, after seeing them struggle with the pressure of the Islanders, struggle with the pressure of Montreal, is this a fast enough team, or is it just that... Uh, you know, they had stretches of good play, but they were never really able to put together a good 60-minute effort, I thought, in any of the post-round Robin games. I'll jump on that one because I do think speed is so interesting. Uh, and I can go to Coatsy and, and you played the game. But in watching hockey, we often say a team looks slow. And we immediately say, well, they just don't have fast enough players. But a lot of it's puck movement, right, guys? And and we go back to what we were just talking about, those breakouts, moving out of your zone and, and having sharp, quick passes, small gaps, all that stuff. They just didn't have it in those two rounds of the playoffs, uh, at least consistently. They had it for small stretches, but not consistently. So it looked slower than they really were. I, mean, I don't think it's just speed. I think that uh, they've, they've got to let the dogs out. They've got to. They've got to... <laughs> 
<laughs> work on you know, more cohesive. <laughs> go out there like you know. Lawrence Taylor used to say, "Go out there like a bunch of dogs, crazed dogs." No, <laughs> I, I'm saying they they basically have to. It, it, buddy, you can as a defenseman, especially relate to this. If you got the defenseman moving the puck up ice, forwards are giving them good support. You look like a faster team, right? I'm I'm going to say something here. It's going to kind of blow everybody's mind, and you're going to think about it. And you're going to go, "Wow, that's true." Jamie Alexiak has been a dynamite defenseman for the Dallas Stars in these playoffs. All right, he's like six foot seven. He's getting up, yeah. the, making plays. He's not a bull, a bull, uh, a big bullet of speed that's flying out there. It's a lot about. I I agree. It's the puck movement, how quick you get it up to the ice to the forwards, how quick the forwards get it through the neutral zone. A lot of the plays, you know, it's 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 funny how. Um, when you watch a hockey game now, it almost feels like uh, they're they're playing a game of uh, of cricket, where the pucks go behind the net and they're trying to funnel everything in, and guys are trying to come in and like take shots at it. It's almost like a recycled offensive zone where the pucks go back in. You try to win the battle and send them back out front. But to me now, the four and six foot pass, I've never seen them executed as much as it is in today's game, and I well, think that sometimes makes up for the speed uh, that looks differently. When I played, Coach, even when you played, there was always more room, I think, for the 10 or 12, 15-foot pass where guys really spread the ice. But one thing, guys, if you watch now, guys are putting the pucks now between the players' blades, the back of the blade and their sticks, They're, where before you try to make a saucer pass over a guy's stick blade, they're putting them in between now. And that allows for those 3-foot, 4-, 5-foot passes that are happening down low in the offensive zone. So... There's a lot of changes, but I'm with Jimmy on this, that I think it's more about the puck movement and how quick that happens, which we're seeing more so than the actual speed, per se, of the game. Because if you look at these four teams, even Tampa left, they're not the small little team they used to be. They got some bigger guys now, too, that are enabling their smaller guys to play. But again, going back, the four teams that are left happen to be really big physical teams Yeah, here. And, and uh, compromise with, with a complement of smaller guys that can make great plays along with that speed and quick passing. I got to go back to what you We're going back to about passing. Here's a question back to you guys. Would you take five people on the ice that were together, understood how to play the game, understand that what they had to do together in every zone, would you take them against a faster team that really wasn't organized? organized? Of course. Every day, Most definitely. Every single day, sure. Yeah, and and that's the thing that we we talk about speed, and you know when you take a look at the successful teams, like you watch that Islanders team against us, and oh my goodness, and then all of a sudden you look up at Tampa, it looks like an American League team playing the NHL, NHL team in Tampa. The other thing is that what unique about Tampa and the Islanders, and I we haven't seen the West enough to to comment on it, but we saw two players point and uh, Barzell that just changed the whole dynamic of the game when they're out there. Yeah, special players, Coatsy, no doubt about it. Those guys are game-changer players. Um, but again, you look at you still look at the goals at the end of the day. These goals are all like in tight battles in front, you know, the chances and stuff. So again, yeah, we talked about the pretty goals, and look at how much power plays have been not really gotten the job done for a lot of teams. This year, Flyer is certainly one of them uh, when they needed key power plays, but... Um, it's amazing how many how many of the pucks still in playoffs goals are scored in tight, right in and around that net area. So every team that's eliminated is saying the same thing that uh, we've gained experience, we've learned from going through what we just went through. Uh, do you believe the teams have to learn how to win? Bundy, as a former player, 
How I, much value did that really have? I, I absolutely do. And, you know, I, I, I go back and look at a team like the Dallas Stars, again, last year that lost to Craig Berube, St. Louis in seven games. Uh, I believe every player in that locker room, Bill could probably talk more. I don't, you know, I'm not here to talk with the Dallas Stars. Just about what they went through, losing a big game like that. Guys like star players uh, uh, and Ben and and, uh, and guys had to go through that. Young defensemen went through that losing period. And then, you know, they've turned the tables this year. So, yes, I, I think from a standpoint of a guy like, say, Sanheim and, and Myers, I look at yeah. two defensemen, had a, a really, really good first series against Montreal. Did a great job in the round robin and got youthfully exposed against the New York Islanders. That that happened to me. That, I went through it in the New Jersey series my first year. That's not that's not abnormal. Uh, you're not going to have a lot of rookie defensemen that are going to shine in critical, big, rich playoff moments until you understand what those moments are all about. And that only takes time and experience. So I do think, great question, Timmy, that that experience this year for every guy, including the Travis Kittler, uh, in these playoffs. That is going to wear on a guy like that mentally. But what doesn't kill you, I think, will make you stronger. And I think that's the attitude that the coach has, that the GM has, and that every player in that locker room should have. Uh, take the experience for what it was, the greatness that, that you had to get into that. Even though there's no fans, it was a unique experience. But I do think that that will be influential in how those players proceed down the road. I think a lot of it, too, Bundy, comes down to you know how you handle the, the forechecking pressure that you see more and more as you get deeper and deeper into the playoffs. Uh, you know, I thought that Sanheim and Myers handled what they saw early, early on. And then, you know, and then you could almost see the wheels turning in their head in the, the Islanders series. And, you know, we talked to Travis Sanheim yesterday and he said maybe early in the series, maybe, you know, one guy was going, maybe Travis was going and Phil was struggling or maybe a different game. Phil was going and Travis was struggling. But by the latter part of the series, both guys were were struggling, and um, you know, I I, th I think I think in the Montreal series, you know, there was kind of a blueprint for playing against the Flyers, uh, really pressuring on the forecheck, and and the coaching staff noticed that, and they tried to make some adjustments. Like if you look in the Islanders series, uh, they had a little bit of success, like in Game Two with the high flip out of the zone, and then pressuring to to recover the puck in the neutral zone. Uh, maybe a little later in the Islanders series, when they were down three to one, they they made a they made an adjustment where they were break they were reversing the play and breaking out on the other side, and that seemed to, to have an effect. But there's a game of adjusting back and forth. And at a certain point, you know, you have um, you have to handle the pressure that you're facing. And this is the forwards have a, have a piece in that too. There were guys cheating out of the zone, and you know, unforced unforced errors that ended up in the net. And you know, the defenseman had a piece of that. The forwards had a piece on that. And um, you know some of those some of those shorter range passes that you were talking about, they weren't executing though. Even even those they were putting those into skates. Yeah. So you know, it, you know there there is certainly there is certainly a piece in in systems, but a lot of it comes down to execution and execute executing very quickly. Uh, you know, youth is a piece of it, but look at the way Heiskanen has played for Dallas in in, in these playoffs. He's a young defenseman in the league. I mean, he seems he seems absolutely impervious to pressure at times. So. You know, yes, experience has something to do with it too, but a lot of it also comes down to, uh, you know, making the play in a very, you know, making a quick decision and executing it. And, you know, uh, a piece of that, I guess, is, is experience, but a lot of it comes down to just bearing down and doing it. Let's zero in on some of the positive takeaways or everybody's biggest positive takeaway. Obviously, the play of Carter Hart, I think, has answered the question. This guy is uh, the real deal, and I think they can feel pretty comfortable moving forward. They're going to have to answer the the question about the number two goaltender, I'd be 
surprised if Brian Elliott doesn't uh, continue to be a good fit here, but that's one of the things that's going to have to be decided. I thought Phil Myers really has emerged as, at the end, I thought he was the Flyers' second best defenseman. How about you guys? Well, I, I certainly thought he was early. Um, I, I think the weight of the Islanders series started to get to him. I also think his partner dragged him down. I thought there were more bad days for Travis Sanheim than Phil Myers. Uh, but, uh, but you know, it, it goes both ways. Phil made some big-time big, big time mistakes, too. But I, I really thought early on, Timmy, absolutely, I agree with you that he was he was a major force because the, the skating ability he has, he can join the rush uh, and he can get back. Uh, and so often you see him go up and maybe the play doesn't work, but he gets back because he's just such a great skater. So I, I'm with you on that. I think Phil had an overall good playoff. Uh, again, at an Islanders series, when you talk about the checking that the Canadians presented versus the Islanders, a lot heavier for the Islanders. And I, I think that's really what, what caught that defense pair. And, and I think it was a learning experience for those two. Um, and he, even for, for Proby and, and some of the other guys too. And, and I, I really, quite frankly, don't think, you know, we're talking a lot about the young guys here. I don't think Matt Niskanen was as good as he needed to be in, in these playoffs. I don't think Claude Giroux, but we could really, we could look at the veterans on this team. And I don't think the veterans really came through in, in a big way. Even Sean Couturier wasn't as good as he usually is. So we could talk about the, the learning experience. I think a bigger thing going forward here, guys, is what are they going to do with the veteran core? Are they all going to be here? Are they going to be, as Bundy referred to earlier, is the gap, the 10 year gap almost between the, the young guys, the young guns and the veteran core, is that too much? Are these guys still going to be able to have enough left in them by the time these young guys get through all these growing pains? That, that's really the big question. I think. Bundy, let me set you up for that because uh, Alain Vigneault said that the aging stars, the, the key offensive guys like Giroux and Jake Voracek, they're in their thirties now. And they're going to have to learn how to condition at that age. It changes as you get older. Can you relate a little bit to that? And what changes are those two going to have to make to try to, to try to keep father time at arm's length? Well, I think none of us are ever really able to beat father time. I think we all know that, but you know, again, I, and again, I, I said this in the playoffs, Jimmy was on uh, pre and post with me. And, and I, uh, this is nothing against the player, but I said that if, if the Flyers are going to have success, um, that Claude Giroux cannot no longer be your best player and neither can Voracek. So whether that means that they have to take uh, a step down in lines, and I understand that that's what it is, Does is, is, the, is the core presented differently to the rest of the team next year? Not in terms of the core leadership stuff. I mean, like, you know, Giroux's a captain. He's been a captain here a long time. Voracek's made a lot of great contributions, but it's the playoff um situations that the coaches talk about so if they go through another long year what will these players do to make sure they're at the top of their games and that's that's a personal thing from you know the coaches will keep an eye on how their conditioning is but uh you've got to be on your toes it was ne it's never easier over 30 in anything especially in professional sports i made it to almost 35 which was a miracle uh when i look back at it from my end of things but uh, i did it and um then i you know but again it's it's taking care of themselves I'm just concerned. I have, a, I do have concerns though about the age, the, the gap between uh, the the star players that that we've that we've uh, positioned for a decade and, and the younger core guys out there. And, and I think from listening to AV, I think that he's concerned about it also. Coachy, what did you have to change as you aged as a player, as far as preparation? Um, well, it's it's very tough as you get older to find a good spot on the bench. <laughs> 
this or a better spot. <laughs> find yourself at the end of the bench so you don't need to move. You find yourself in the middle of the bench. You constantly have to move during the line changes. Those are things you pick up along the way. But you were hanging out with the fifth and sixth defenseman, right, Coatsy, the fourth line guys? That's right. Same yeah. thing. <laughs> in the end, get out of the way. Your conditioning, though, changed. I mean, you were eating better. You were drinking less or more. Or... <laughs> drinking was always a major, major thing with me. I had to be constant. It was? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there are going to be some challenges, I think, uh, specifically for Clint Giroux, Jake Voracek, those guys that are getting older, if uh, they want to continue to be uh, top-line guys, and there's no reason to believe that they won't be asked to again next season. They are going to have to recognize how things change as you get older. Bundy, I wanted to ask you about exit interviews, because nobody really pushed A.B. the other day when he admitted, because of the circumstances, that they didn't get a chance to do their exit interviews. Uh, obviously, uh, those are going to be done by Zoom calls, because everybody's kind of spread to their respective hometowns or wherever they're going to spend the next several weeks. Do you remember the most positive and maybe some of the worst exit interviews you had and what gets accomplished in those? Uh, I played for Bob Clark for pretty much 12 years here in Philadelphia. So I can assure you that I didn't get called in at the end of any year because we never won a cup and was told how great I was. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I will tell you that, um, yeah, I've had some uh, some years and said, hey, you know what? Uh, we thought you had a great year and uh, you had a good playoff and we'll see you in the fall. I had another year where I got called in to Clarkie's office and he said, if I were you, I would tie a rope around you to Rod Brendamore's waist and follow him around this summer. Um, so, I mean, listen, you get, and I say that, you know, I mean, we've, you guys know Clarkie. There's no, if you had Bob Clark in a locker room today, you probably have some disgruntled employees, <laughs> maybe looking for a little hug somewhere. But uh, to me, it made me a little tougher. Um, I always took what the exit interviews were, were uh, a positive thing and certainly one, that they wanted to leave an impact on you, whether it even sounds funny now or if it's not funny. Uh, but I took them seriously, and uh, I certainly didn't rest on my laurels. I, it was a job for everybody to get in, in shape in the offseason. And I think that uh, a lot of coaches, when they don't know anything else and all they have when they come into training camp is to know what your work ethic is, I think that becomes a really, really important piece to the puzzle, too, to see where guys are at from evaluation from the coaches. But I took everything that was told that to me at the end of the year uh, to heart and and if I needed to work harder or be better at something, I, I didn't take it lightly when you got one of the greatest players and heart and soul guys telling you that. Billy, uh, that is going to be the first order of business to complete those. But then you get into the draft, you get into free agency. I don't think any of us believe that the Flyers are going to be too involved in free agency. The economics of the game are changing, and you're going to have to get younger and look for internal answers to questions, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. And... Uh... You know, that, that was something that both Chuck Fletcher and A.V. discussed. You know, as you were talking about uh, roles changing, you know, I mean, it would be – we might be having a whole different conversation right now if, uh, you know, if Nolan Patrick had been healthy this season and, and continued to develop. Because right now I don't know where those minutes are going. I don't know where you move some of those responsibilities to right now. Um, you know, I mean, Morgan Frost is a guy who has the potential – to put up some points in this league. I mean, if you look at the the system, he's probably the, the most dynamic, purely offense 
you know, offensive player they have, but Morgan has his own things to walk to work on, particularly, you know, some play without the puck issues, uh, putting, adding weight and muscle is, is probably number one on his agenda. And, and, um, you know, some, some things, just, just some adjustments within, in the game, reading and reacting to plays at an, at a, an NHL speed rather than at a junior pace. And those are all things that he would, was making strides on, but you could see still needed work. Even, even the American league level, you could see it at times. So, you know, I don't think you just plug Morgan Frost and say, okay, he's, he's going to be in your first power play unit. And, you know, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know where those minutes are coming from. You, you would think that Joel Farabee continues to develop, you know, a year in here and, and um, you know, some of the young defense and we've talked about continue to take bigger roles too. But I mean, uh, you know, unless you're making a, a major trade this off season, you're still going to need, you know, those, the Voracek's and, and uh, the Giroux's to, to play big minutes on the team. And, you know, listen, they, they brought in James Van Reeves, like not, not to scratch him in the playoffs, but to be a guy who you go out and will get you 30 goals a year. And last year in a bad year for the team, he missed a, he missed what about six weeks early in the season, finished with 27 goals. I mean, he's a guy who, who has to score to, uh, to be effective on a team. He's never going to be a Selkie trophy guy. He has improved. You know, a lot of areas in his game, but he's a guy you need to score. And the players that, that you're relying on for, you know, for production still have to produce because I don't think the kids are going to step right in and, and take over those big minute roles. So, you know, unless significant changes are made in the offseason, a big trade that which are awfully tough to make. And a lot of times it's about a lot of salary matching and you're taking, you know, you're taking contracts back. I think you're, you're relying on those same players next year to you know, not only doing the regular season, but carry it into a postseason and, and, you know, step up, step up when you have to. And, and uh, you know, funny thing is sometimes with playoff reputations, it only takes one big run sometimes to completely change somebody's reputation. Keith Primo was a guy who for years was considered a, a playoff underachiever, uh, had the, did have the five overtime goal, but it was really 2004. People remember Keith Primo was a guy who stepped up big in the playoffs. Sometimes it only takes that, that one run where you do it. And, and it changes, you know, it can change a lot of things. I mean, I think I think some of those guys have it in them to do it. And certainly Travis Konechny, uh, was a young guy still, is, is a guy who much more is needed from as, as you get into a postseason scenario. And then, you know, then maybe the, maybe it looks different. Bill hit something very uh, right on the head. You, you asked about is it time for the older players to take a, a, a lesser piece of the, the action and look for the younger players. Well, that's a big decision. Because if you're sitting and watching these playoffs and you see that the big guns did not show up, not just one or two, big, I mean, a group of them, you got a big decision to make. And if you start making decisions that, well, they can't make it, and you look from the bottom up, who's going to take that spot? So that's going to be hanging over the heads. And it's going to be really tough for Chuck Fletcher and Alan Vigneault and the group to be able to figure out how they're going to do this because uh, it, it's a tough situation. I think Bill hit that one right on the head. Jimmy, there are a couple of unknowns. We've already said Nolan Patrick. You, you hope for the best, and it'll be a huge piece to get back. If Oscar Lindblom can get close to back to what he was before the diagnosis, that's going to have a trickle-down effect throughout the whole line. Yeah, I mean, if you add those two, and it's a big if. Actually, it's a bigger if, unbelievably, I say this for Nolan Patrick, I think, than Oscar, who's made such great strides. But uh, if they both make it back, you all of a sudden have a lot of depth, I think, up front. You have more than six top six forwards on this team. I really think every player Bill mentioned there, whether it was the veterans or whether it was Travis Konechny, what do they all have in common? They play in the power play. 
it was invisible in the playoffs. If the power play was clicking, we might be still talking about a series, guys. I mean, it was awful. And all these guys, especially Claude Giroux, feed off power play success. Jake Vortrex in that realm, too. I think TK is going to be in that realm in his career. You have to get the power play going. I don't know, guys. What did you see with it? What It was never good. They tried different things. They tried Giroux on the right, on the left. They tried some variations in terms of personnel for both units. Nothing seemed to work. So, I don't. I mean, it worked in the regular season. It was okay. And actually, toward the end of the regular season before the pause, it was quite good, the power play. So, I think they have it in them. But if they had the power play in the playoffs, we're probably talking about the Flyers in Tampa Bay right now. So, uh, I mean, it's it's to me, you don't want to overreact on some of these uh, analysis as well, because if the power play is working, these guys are producing and the Flyers are, are a much better team. Yeah, Coatsy, you know me. Confidence is such a big thing, and it affects so many different areas of the game. And you get confidence from your power play, and when that's not clicking, I put a lot of stock into body language. Even at the, uh, you know, throughout that Islanders series, they'd go on the power play, and there was nothing that suggested to me, based on their body language, that they expected to be able to score. It was, it was just got worse and worse. And I think when you're standing around, you find yourself standing around looking for the perfect opportunity. And Bundy, you know, will tell you that you just can't do that. You got to be, uh, you got to do everything quickly. You got to do everything by bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Sitting and trying to be tentative, and that goes back to what I thought the big problem was: the power play, and that was execution, not the technical part that was given to you by the coach. The coach can only do so much, but the execution and the people out there have to execute. It's about rhythm, moving the puck around, getting it to the. To the net. Sometimes you got to do something simple, like the old days. Just get it back to the point and let it go. See what happens. But they lost all that confidence. Going back to what you said, and it's really tough to recover. And you know, then you got to make a decision. Well, hold on. Do we change the power play? Well, you're in the playoffs. That's pretty tough to do. So it was just it just caught. It was a a spiraling situation where the power play just wasn't going to get any better. As we look forward to some of the decisions that Chuck Fletcher is going to have to make. Um, you know, he's got some restricted free agents. He's got to make some decisions on some unrestricted free agents. Uh, again, I think we all are in agreement that they're going to look for some internal answers to some of these questions, but I glossed over the second goaltender, uh, Billy, I don't want to put you in a position to second guess anybody. Would you be the least bit uncomfortable with bringing Brian Elliott back though? No, I, I think that this was a healthy year for him. Um, look at all the big games he won on the road, particularly. It was almost, uh, you know, it was almost Carter Hart exclusively started at home, and then maybe in a little bit towards the latter part, Carter would get a few more games on the road, and he, and he did win some of those. But really, you know, if you look at the, some of those really gritted out road wins. You know, I, I mean, Brian Elliott was in, in the net for a lot of those games, and and he and, and Carter seem to work really well together. He's getting to an age where you know he's probably not a viable number one. Right. So he'd be in a tandem arrangement pretty much anywhere he goes. And you're not looking long term. I, I, I see, you know, I see still a good fit for at least another year out. So I, I would not be surprised at all if Brian Elliott is the guy. And, and also, you know, also there's a also there's a price range consideration, too. Right. There are some, you know, some good goalies potentially available this offseason. But I mean, I, I think that for what the Flyers needs are, I, I think there's a fit. Well, it's going to be interesting moving forward to see what they do. Chuck Fletcher has already said. The one area he'd like to improve is defensive depth. Bundy, that should be music to your ears. Maybe there's a chance. Uh, yeah, hopefully not for the fans of the city, but. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think you can make it back? 
It'll make for a you great could... Hallmark movie someday, though. But... <laughs> uh, you could bring back the expression "stay at home defense." <laughs> yeah, the fans will be calling for him to stay at home. That's right. <laughs> I can't get out of the house. <laughs> uh, you know what, though, it's interesting you say that, and if that's the case, Timmy, I think it's great. I mean, you can never have enough defensemen, and whether it's defensemen or defensive help, you know, that that's a question that you have to ask. If it's a defensive forward. Uh, you know, I, and one guy we never mentioned his name once in this whole time uh, that I think is a, is another guy that fits that bill uh, is Kevin Hayes. You know, he's a guy that really stepped yeah. up huge this Absolutely. year, defensively, offensively. You know, uh, great compliment to Coots. So that that's something really to look forward to down the road, and also uh, it, it it adds to your uh, your defensive help too, Timmy. And you won't have to worry about me putting those laces on again. Up and, and Timmy, defensive depth, I mean, he's got a couple coming too, right? Especially Zamula, who they're very high on. Uh, probably not uh, this year, though, right? No, well, maybe not. But, I mean, Justin Braun's probably got to go. They've got to save money somewhere, right? So his money probably comes off the, the top. Uh, and they also like Freeman. I mean, there's there's some there's some depth. I was, I was actually surprised Chuck said that. Maybe veteran depth is what he's talking about. Yeah. But uh, – I, you know, forward depth again. It comes down to to uh, the two guys. I mean, if Lindblom and Patrick are are good to go, this team to me has lots of forward depth too. So and a goalie. So there's really a lot to be excited about. I think it's just that mystery of what happened uh, in the the two series, especially the Islanders series, that has everybody worried. But talent wise, mm-hmm. and a great coach, great coaching staff. There's a lot to be really excited about with this team. Well, the growth of a hockey team takes time. Flyers come out of the bubble with a lot of valuable experience. They're going to spend the next few months trying to figure out how they best take the next steps. Guys, it was fun. Our latest broadcasters roundtable. I'm not really sure what the plan is for the rest of the summer, but um, hopefully we'll get a chance to do this around the draft anyway. All right. Somebody out there, go let the dogs out. Who let them up? Who let them (laughs) out? With our latest broadcasters roundtable. Tim Saunders for Jim Jackson, Bill Meltzer, Chris Terrian, and Steve Coates. The preceding program is an original production of the Flyers Broadcast Network. You can find this and other programs available on demand at flyersbroadcastnetwork.com.